It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was in the Middle East this past week, assuring our allied leaders that the U.S. was not abandoning them. Even as the President of the United States, his boss, was assuring everybody that he, in fact, was abandoning them. In other words, the Secretary of State was in the Middle East telling its leaders, don't listen to anything the United States President says. We don't. But of course, he still found the time while disavowing his own boss to attack the real cause of all of the problems in the Middle East and around the world, Barack Obama. So when Pompeo returned to the United States, and while his boss was telling everybody that we had won in the Middle East and defeated ISIS, and while his vice president, Mike Pence, fresh with a battery change and reanimated, was coming out and seconding his boss's notion that ISIS was kaput. It turns out that this phoenix, like Acorn rising from the dead to steal U.S. elections, apparently, on behalf of Democrats, right when Pompeo got back to America and the president and vice president were assuring us all that ISIS was a thing of the past, this thing of the past killed 19 people in Syria, including four Americans. Four Americans. Numbers sound familiar? That's the same number of Americans who were killed in the Benghazi attacks. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like Hillary Rodham Clinton is going to have some splaining to do. Anyway, welcome to Forward Nation Radio with me, David Leventhal, where we have lots of explaining to do. We're going to be trying over the next half hour or so to be explaining a lot of the crap that's been going on in this country over the past week. It never ends. Starting off with, we're number one. That's right. We are in day 27 of the longest government shutdown in the history of the United States of America. Yes, we're number one. Nobody beats Trump who does things bigger and better than everybody. Bigger and better based on absolutely nothing. It's important to remember. This is a government shutdown based on nothing except the president's marketing and inability to compromise or suffer any kind of defeat. Fighting over a border wall that is such an emergency, such an emergency that's worth shutting down the government over, that he was perfectly willing to sign a deal, remember, just a few weeks ago, to fund the government and keep the government open without funding his border border wall until Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter and the rest of the lunatic right-wing fringe of morons and propagandists in this country decided to go after him for not building the wall. An emergency that is so great, necessitating shutting down the government and putting people out of work and without a paycheck for a month already such an emergency that it was something that didn't need to be done during the two years of the Trump presidency 
where he had a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate. And yet, didn't manage to make this funding the priority that it is now to necessitate shutting down our government. How is it that Trump has managed to go beyond what any government in the history of this country had ever been able to do? To shut this government down longer than ever before? It's not just the stupidity, the idiocy. It is principally the freedom given, as I've talked about on this show repeatedly, it is the freedom given by a complete complete lack of caring for any other human beings. A complete inability to feel empathy for suffering of others. I talked last week about some of the president's recent comments showing his complete lack of empathy, i.e. that people should basically just make other arrangements like dipping into their trust funds or asking their daddies for a bigger loan, apparently. Well, this week we saw more of that. Let's lead off with the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, Kevin Hassett. Trump's handpick chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, who pointed out helpfully this week that federal workers, 800,000, being asked or forced to do volunteer work without a paycheck, are better off for the government shutdown because for some of them, it's like an extra vacation. Empathy, GOP style. Not to be outdone by his jackass subordinates, Donald Trump pointed out helpfully that his lack of concern for the people who are suffering was that most of them are certainly Democrats anyway. So who cares? And thus, once again, we not only see the lack of empathy, but how this president has decided to run this country, which is not giving a damn about anybody but the base who supports him. And it turns out that base who supports him, many of them are suffering. But that doesn't really matter. Because freedom for the president means also the freedom that is given to him by those he represents being the leader of the cult. Representing people who, to their credit, are principled enough to be willing to sacrifice all for whatever bullshit the cult leader has decided to make up. So no matter how much many of these people suffer, they will continue to blame somebody, anybody, other than the leader of the cult. Somebody passed the Kool-Aid. And one of the most sobering statistics of the week, a new poll out shows that 60% of Americans holding pretty consistent over the years, 60% of Americans believe that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, is dishonest. That should be a startling number that 60% of Americans believe the president is dishonest. But of course, the only startling number in there is that apparently 40% of Americans somehow believe that the man who lies pretty much every time he opens his mouth and doesn't even have a casual relationship with the truth is actually honest. That must be quite liberating 
to have a fan base that will support you no matter what, no matter what damage that you do. And the damage that's being done is being more and more evident every single day. Much of that damage being done among Trump's own base in small town America and rural America that have really begun to feel the effects of the government shutdown. President Trump's own economic advisors have been reporting that the government shutdown has been greatly impacting our economy. And of course, that impact will only get worse and worse. And this is impacting the economy directly, not indirectly through the fact, you know, that we're not inspecting food anymore. So uh, we're going to start coming down with all kinds of additional health problems over the next month. No, 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 not, not anything that indirect, just actually direct. The ripple effects from all these people out of work, all these people not getting paid, are affecting this country's economy and bringing us that much quicker to the expected slowdown or recession of 2020 or perhaps 2019. Maybe this will somehow get Trump's attention, although again, with the fact that the people who are suffering can just be told by the cult leader that it's somebody else's fault, or even better, that they're not suffering, they're vacationing, then where is the incentive for Trump to solve this problem? As we went to air last week, it was the day President Trump was about to address the nation on the state of the emergency that necessitated the shutting down of our government. No surprise, Trump gave a speech in which he declared, the only thing we have to fear is not being sufficiently fearful. Yeah. But don't worry, everybody. I am here to make you afraid. Not sufficiently afraid? We'll remedy that. And Trump has proceeded in his speech and afterwards to try to scare the crap out of everybody about what this border wall and what this government shutdown is all about. Giving us, those of us in the reality-based community, an opportunity to take a look at some actual facts. Including the fact, interestingly, while the president and his minions were talking about 4,000 criminals, that's you, Huckster, 4,000 criminals and terrorists trying to pour across our southern border last year, it turns out that according to Customs and Border Patrol's own data, Customs and Border Patrol encountered only six, six immigrants at a port of entry on the U.S.-Mexico border in the first half of the fiscal year 2018, whose names were on the federal government list of known or suspected terrorists. Six. Or as Rachel Maddow humorously pointed out, though cribbing, an old joke from Stephen Colbert that we had first reported on this show many months ago. That number was correct as long as they were rounding up to the nearest 4,000. Six versus 4,000. It gave us a chance to learn again when we looked at the actual statistics about the lack of criminality of those who were trying to get into the United States across our southern border. That in fact, if you want to reduce criminality in the United States, 
at least as a percentage of the population. We need to let in more immigrants because it turns out that these immigrants commit crimes, all crimes, at a far, far lower rate than that committed by native-born Americans. That doesn't matter, though. Facts will never stand in the way what Donald Trump knows that you will believe to be true if you're a moron. So Donald Trump helpfully came out again this week and said over and over and over again, Democrats don't care about crime. As if letting non-criminals in across the border was about promoting crime somehow. So obviously, for thoughtful people, this is not about crime. It is not about reducing criminality. What is it about? Again, as we have been reporting ad nauseum on this show, this is about the old reliable GOP racism. Ultimately, it appeals to the Trump base because these people have brown skin, and that is ultimately what this is all about. We need to keep these people out. We've seen the racism raise its ugly head several times this week. But of course, in the news as we go to air today, just recently, a federal judge rules against adding a citizenship question to the United States Senate. Census, rather. You know, the proposal that has been pushed on completely false pretenses by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, billionaire or hundred millionaire, great person, of course, as he is, that in fact, it was found by the court that this effort to add the citizenship question on the census was an egregious violation of the Administrative Procedure Act which is something that's required for administration to, I don't know, be thoughtful, considered, make sense. In fact, the judge held, as we've been reporting on this show for months, that this was not an effort to make a valid judgment about what was necessary in this country and what would advance the census taking. This was clearly meant to stop people from declaring themselves to move the population from urban areas and legal immigrants and places that vote Democratic to change representation, in fact, to areas that vote Republican. And then the Commerce Secretary and his department and the government have engineered, according to a federal judge, a whitewash and a cover-up of what this was all about. We've been reporting for months that Wilbur Ross was blatantly lying, and we knew he was lying, about how this whole policy came about. He has since come and said, well, yes, he misspoke. In fact, it wasn't brought to him. He was the one who initiated it. And a federal judge has ruled that this was based on, well, at least in this case, the Republican response could be, this isn't about racism. This is about stopping brown-skinned people from voting, not because we don't like them, but because they don't vote for us. Of course, you can't apply the same logic to Steve King. Steve King, who once again spoke out in favor of white nationalists and white supremacists this week, 
white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Steve King sought to ask during the week. Well, finally, there was enough outrage about Steve King's remarks this week to force Republicans into some kind of action. Steve King had to be punished for his blatantly racist remarks. And again, Steve King was not being punished for his racist remarks. Steve King was being punished in part because of the blatancy and because of the reaction that his remarks were engendering. Remember, Republicans always use dog whistles to speak out to racists who are their base. But Steve King showed a lack of subtlety that let people know what Republicans are actually doing. And that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be calling attention to your dog whistles. They're supposed to be more subtle. So Republicans are outraged about this. Of course, not so outraged about Donald Trump saying basically the same things. No, no, their outrage doesn't extend to that because their outrage isn't, again, actually about what he said. It's about having to make believe that they were outraged by what he said. Ted Cruz, among others, having come out and said, this kind of white supremacy, this kind of racism is not to be tolerated in the Republican Party or America, which are inspiring words from the guy who had hired him as his Iowa campaign chair, even after he'd made many similar such remarks. Nothing about, one thing about Republicans, they can always react to the backlash. In fact, it was reported this week, speaking about how Republicans are all against bigotry, that Mrs. Pence, the Mrs. Vice President, the second lady of the United States, teaches in a Christian private school that does not allow LGBT students in that school. But there's no uproar on that one, so there's no backtracking about that. So Trump still debates whether he's going to declare a state of emergency to try to open up the government, threatening that he can go ahead and do that. In what is clearly not applicable in this case, again, if it was an emergency, well, we'd be facing rising crime, not lowering crime, not much of an emergency by a bunch of non-criminals trying to get into America, not much of an emergency by addressing a crisis that you didn't seek to do anything about for two years. But it doesn't matter. The problem here is that Republicans are very concerned. The reason that Trump has not yet declared a state of emergency, the Republicans are very concerned about what the precedent this might set. As one reporter had the temerity to ask a GOP congressman, which utterly flummoxed him, if you could declare a state of emergency for this that's clearly not an emergency, the next time we have a Democratic president, couldn't he or she declare a state of emergency for climate change? An actual emergency? And this is a concern for the GOP opening this up. Not the idea that we are on the road to tyranny. That giving this president of the United States with neither brains nor decency, empathy, or caring about anything but himself, powers that are tyrant-like, that's not the concern. The concern is what happens when reasonable people 
might get to use these powers. No, right now it is clear in America the only emergency we face is the same emergency we have faced for the last two years. And that is the emergency we face because Donald Trump, a competent, an incompetent, a jackass, and a criminal, continues to be the president of the United States. And Donald Trump, once again this week, really highlighted what a complete and utter jackass he is. Did you notice his tweet at Jeff Bezos, the CEO and founder of Amazon, the richest man in the world? Here's Trump's tweet in case you missed this. So sorry to hear the news about Jeff Bozo being taken down by a competitor whose reporting, I understand, is far more accurate than the reporting in his lobbyist newspaper, the Amazon Washington Post. It's worth quoting because let's talk a little. First of all, this is the president of the United States. Jeff Bozo, little Adam shit. I mean, seriously, when I make a comment like that, I get many of my viewers, viewers, listeners, I guess at this point, rightfully saying to me, come on, that was a little sophomoric. And I think, well, I also try to entertain. And to my credit, I'm not the president of the United States. The president of the United States is tweeting name calling. The president of the United States is hoping to be elected kindergarten class president. The competitor whose reporting he understands is more accurate than the Washington Post is the National Enquirer. Seriously, need I say more? But of course, there's entertainment in this as well. Yes, the President of the United States is telling people that the National Enquirer is more of a legitimate and accurate newspaper than the Washington Post. The big joke in here, of course, is that David Pecker, the owner of the National Enquirer, is apparently busy talking to the Independent Council about how he has helped to cover things up and violate campaign finance laws to make Donald Trump the President of the United States. So in another couple of weeks, Donald Trump is going to be disavowing them too. And finally, in this juvenile jackass tweet is, of course, the Amazon Washington Post, the Washington Post being owned not by Amazon, but by Jeff Bezos, who is also the CEO and main owner of Amazon. But also this week, not content to demonstrate his stupidity in his tweets, Donald Trump has been going around talking about his wall by continuing to compare it to the wheel. Wheel and wall, wheel and wall, wall and wheel, wheel and wall. Most of you, I hope, have seen some of the clips. Go on YouTube, I suppose, and see some of the clips that have been put together of Donald Trump singing that refrain over and over again. Donald Trump, in 2019, has discovered the concept of the wheel and thinks it's kind of cool, just like walls. Anyway, speaking of stupid people, uh, the... Attorney General nominee William Barr has had his confirmation hearings in front of the United States Senate. And I guess he's been making his case for why he should be confirmed as the new Attorney General of the United States. And his case, as far as I could tell, 
really comes down to two main arguments. One, anybody's better than the asshole currently doing it, Matthew Whitaker. I mean, seriously, I'm not that asshole, so you might as well go ahead and put me in. That seems to be his strongest claim in favor of being appointed to the the highest law enforcement position in the United States of America. Why the hell not? A jackass juvenile child is the president. What the hell? But I guess you've also got the second prong of his two-prong argument to make me attorney general, which is, well, you know, I've been around for a while. I served in Republican administrations that weren't nearly this insane. And that seems to be a big claim to fame, I guess, for William Barr. And I suppose he added during the hearings, he added a third prong to his argument, and that is he promises to make his own decisions and not be a tool, a lackey of the White House. Uh Uh-oh. Because even if one can believe him on this, and there's really no reason to believe him, but even if one believes that he will be independent, unfortunately, William Barr's record of making his own decisions is not a particularly distinguished one. In fact, William Barr has kind of a history, uh uh-oh, of being a bit of a tyrant enabler. That's right. A lot of what he has argued for and stood for over the years is precisely what this country does not need right now when facing a wannabe tyrant. Famously, we know that Barr, months ago, had already reached his conclusion on Special Counsel Robert Mueller's obstruction of justice probe. (coughs) Forgive me. Yes, Mueller's obstruction theory, he wrote months ago, would do lasting damage to the presidency. Before, of course, we have any of the information we need and the facts are in, he had already reached a determination on the Mueller probe. Well, during his confirmation hearings, he tried to put the rest of us at ease by saying he now says he does not believe that the probe is a witch hunt. (laughs) Strong words indeed from the Attorney General designee of the United States of America. But, of course, he also indicated that he believes at this point that the report should likely be kept secret. That's right, whatever information we have about the President of the United States and his cronies being a criminal, the highest law enforcement officer designee of the United States believes should be kept secret from the American public. On the theory, it's in one of the Federalist Papers, I believe, that democracy always works best when it is conducted in the dark. In light of the fact that the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who's been overseeing the Mueller investigation so famously, and so to the consternation of the President, has announced that he will be stepping down shortly. It is all the more important to make sure that the Attorney General of the United States is someone who will not be doing everything in his power to squelch the Mueller investigation and then to hide its results. Why should we believe that William Barr is probably not that kind of person? Well, aside from the fact that he was nominated by Donald Trump, 
William Barr has a long history of believing in expansive executive power, believing that the President of the United States should be more powerful than he already is. This is a guy who's argued against the nature of the special counsel to begin with, who has repeatedly argued against congressional oversight of the President of the United States, who has argued almost alone in, a, in the George H.W. Bush administration that the President of the United States should be unconstrained, basically, by Congress and his war-making abilities. In fact, we now know he argued in the Bush administration, the first Bush administration, that Bush could unilaterally go into war in the Persian Gulf. He was overruled by the rest of the administration and by apparently cooler heads. But again, with President Donald Trump, we need to think carefully, which the Senate, of course, will not be doing, about whether we want an attorney general who believes in more power to the President of the United States. He believes that the president's pardon power should basically be unrestricted. He recommended that George H.W. Bush pardon all the principals in the Iran-Contra investigation, which we've reported on in the past on this show, is particularly relevant to the current climate when we know that Donald Trump has been floating the idea of pardons to people who are likely to testify against him in the current Mueller investigation with respect to his ties to Russia. Remember that when George H.W. Bush did in fact pardon many of the principals in the Iran-Contra investigation, we now know that he was pardoning people who otherwise would have testified to his own criminality. All of this was fine with the soon-to-be-new highest law enforcement official in the United States of America. He is also, speaking of his independence and his willingness to do what's right, he has recently noted that it was more value, valid for Congress to be examining and investigating Clinton, Hillary Clinton's ties as Secretary of State to the, to the uranium probe of sale of uranium to a Russian company. It was more valid for Congress to be investigating that than for the special counsel to be investigating the current president of the United States' ties to Russia and whether he is an agent of a hostile foreign power. Bearing in mind that this uranium probe was made up bullshit while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State designed to undermine her race for the presidency about a decision that she did not take part in and was investigated by other parts of the government. In other words, a completely made-up probe had more validity than investigating whether the United States president is a tool of a hostile foreign power. This is what is about to become the nation's highest law enforcement officer. Good luck.
America. Anyway, lastly on the show today, let's not forget the current state of Trump and Russia, the Russia investigation. And I guess every week it's something new. This week, collusion is back in the lead. Collusion has been all the rage and all the latest evidence. We've been commenting several times over the months about how the administration position on Russia and collusion has changed as the evidence mounts. As soon as one lie is overwhelmingly shown to be a lie to such an extent that they need to basically move to the next fallback position, they change their position and try the next one. Their position has shifted over and over and over again. But now what is landed on is absolutely priceless. The president's lead lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, that man of integrity, is now saying wrongly, I never said that there was no collusion by the president's campaign. I just said there was no collusion by the president. Aside from the fact that that's not actually true, that in fact he said there was no collusion by the campaign. Just think about that for a moment. This is now the defense from the president of the United States. Yes, people running my presidential campaign sought to collude with Russians, a hostile foreign power, to try to steal a U.S. election. But hey, I didn't know about it. That's their defense. That's where we are right now. Remember that in a few moments when we talk about impeachment. Also in Russian news this week regarding collusion, the Senate votes down a Democratic proposal, a proposal from Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, to make sure that sanctions against Russian oligarch and Vladimir Putin underling Oleg Deripaska remain in effect. Why does the Senate have to to vote that sanctions against someone who has a history of trying to collude in in the U.S. election should be kept in place? Well, because the President of the United States, the administration, is going to release, to remove those sanctions against Vladimir Putin's underling. Eleven Republican senators joined the Democratic, all Democrats, in getting a large majority, I think 56 senators ultimately voted, to maintain the sanctions against Oleg Deripaska. To no avail. As once again we are reminded, when it comes to Republicans, the will of the majority doesn't mean anything. A Republican Trump minority you know, that got them the presidency, the Senate, and for a long time the House of Representatives, will continue to run this country despite what a majority of this country believes. Also, we'll be back to this issue in another minute or two. So despite all Democrats and 11 Republicans voting to maintain the sanctions, the sanctions will be gone. Once again, indicating that the President of the United States seems to be working more for the interests of Vladimir Putin than he is for the interests of the United States of America. 
Who else is concerned that that's the case? Well, as we learned this week, and it's worth pointing out, the FBI undertook an investigation of whether the President of the United States was working for Russia. That was basically a New York Times headline. The FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation of the United States of America, undertook an investigation to find out whether the President of the United States is a Russian agent. We are literally living the Manchurian candidate. Just let that sink in for a moment. The President of the United States working for Russia. Who could believe that that could be the case? What evidence could the the FBI have? Well, just because it turns out that Donald Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, shared polling data with Konstantin Kalimnik, again, back in the news, a Russian agent actually shared secret GOP polling data with Russian intelligence before the election to help Russian intelligence to better focus their efforts to steal the election for Donald Trump just so we could be clear on what's happening here. Again, understand that the president's lawyer's response to this is not that it didn't happen, but that the president may not have known about it. The efforts from his highest underlings, people who he's always demand loyalty from, to help Russia steal a U.S. election on behalf of their client, Donald Trump. We found this out Again, the saving grace, perhaps, if this country is to be saved, the one saving grace we have is that these wannabe tyrants are too effing stupid to get it done right. In fact, we found out that Manafort committed collusion with Russia, a federal crime, during the election because the idiot's own idiot lawyers managed to turn in documents allowed people to get at this information unwittingly. The one thing we have going for them, for us, of course, one of the main things that they have going for them all this time is the idea that maybe it just doesn't matter that much. When the president of the United States is this incompetent and this big an asshole, the one thing he could say is, Maybe it's not so terrible if Vladimir Putin rather than Donald Trump is running the United States of America. I mean, he won't be running it for America, of course, but then again, neither would Donald Trump. Well, anyway, Donald Trump this week, we found out, hid from his own administration details of his discussions with Vladimir Putin. His interpreter's notes were ordered secret, kept secret even from Trump's own underlings. What he actually said, what he actually discussed with his likely boss in the Kremlin was not to be shared even within the Trump administration. What bad stuff could they possibly have discussed? What is the likelihood that he actually sold out this country on behalf of Russia? Bearing in mind, of course, that after all these discussions and all this was going on and all this collusion was happening, the one thing that Donald Trump at the Republican convention forced the Republicans to change was to change its platform, change the GOP platform, 
in ways that benefited Russia. That was it. That's what they asked for. That's what they fought for. So Congressman, little Congressman Adam Schett, I mean, I'm sorry, Adam Schiff, who now, fortunately for America, has subpoena power, is already asking for those interpreters' notes. So the next big government crisis will be, well, not necessarily the next one, but one of the many next government crises will be when the Trump administration refuses to turn over the notes from interpreters about what the President of the United States was talking about and what he was agreeing to and what he was licking when it came to the President of Russia. So many people, reasonable people, people living in the reality-based community, have once again been asking this week, what is the best way to end this living nightmare, this national emergency that we have been living in for over two years, this emergency which is going to leave the entirety of the American population with PTSD whenever it finally ends? I talked about Michael Tomaski in a, in a provocative article he had in the New York Review of Books last week. He had an op-ed, another provocative op-ed in the New York Times on this very subject. One whose conclusion I ultimately, again, disagree with. The question, of course, is, should president be thrown out of office? Should he be impeached? Or should we look for an electoral solution to this? Should he face the American voter in 2020 and that be what ends this? And I hate to say this, but I cannot believe we are actually having this discussion. First of all, the discussion about what's good in politics rather than what's good for America. If the President of the United States is a criminal, if he is violating U.S. law and the United States Constitution, if he or his underlings have violated law and the Constitution in order to steal a U.S. election, if he is an agent of a hostile foreign power, much of which, by the way, we already know to be true even before the Mueller report is released, does the rule of law and the Constitution not matter in this country at all anymore? How are we even talking about this son of a bitch and this criminal not being impeached? He needs to be impeached. He needs to be convicted in the Senate. He needs to be indicted. He needs to be thrown into prison for the rest of his life if what is overwhelmingly evident at this point is proven to be true in a court of law, of course or for the former, proven in the, in the court of the United States Senate. He needs to be thrown in prison, hopefully for the rest of his life. There needs to be some message to this country that crimes are things that are not just committed by poor people or people of color, that even wealthy, white, connected people can commit crimes and ultimately can be convicted and have to pay the price for them. If the message from this presidency, among others, is that he gets to walk free, and many of these criminals get to walk free, that wealthy white people get to violate the law in the U.S. Constitution with impunity, we have no country left worth fighting for. And we should just see it gone now once and for all. But the flip side of that coin that we should let the American voter decide and vote these people out of office so it has the legitimacy that's not tainted by the cloud of actually enforcing the law, as if that somehow was tainting anything. 
in this country. Unfortunately, let's be clear. The will of the American people did not put these people into power. Remember, he lost the election by several million votes. Unfortunately, aside from anything else, that is putting a faith in U.S. elections that doesn't deserve to be there. Elections in this country, first of all, do not necessarily reflect the will of the people. And more and more, Republicans are working feverishly to ensure that they do not reflect the will of the people. In Florida, which Republicans now own lock, stock, and barrel with the governorship and both senatorial seats. They will be working hard to ensure that this so-called swing state goes Republican all the time by increasing voter suppression, by doing everything they can to ensure a Republican, a minority majority in Florida and the United States. Until we fix voting in this country, and yes, I hate to say it, but until the average American voter is asked at least to have the thoughtfulness, the education, the information, and the intelligence to make decisions that can promote the values of this country, I think we're in a lot of trouble if we are asking for rescue from United States democracy. Anyway, speaking of United States democracy and the average American voter, L.A. teachers remain on strike and are on strike this week. Teachers fighting for a living wage so they can hopefully better educate the youth of America. Those of us who believe in education and democracy and more thoughtful citizens should support the L.A. teachers in any way we can. Good luck to teachers in L.A. and everywhere in America, and certainly good luck to all the rest of us. That's it for today's show. We will see you next week with more on the news and hopefully more of our discussion about all kinds of other Republican shibboleths and Republican ideology that need to be flushed down the toilet with this administration. Thanks a lot. We hope to see you then. Please share us with your friends and neighbors. And please now find us on Stitcher. See you next week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 